This is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee and this is Campaign Catch-Up. It's Tuesday the 10th of May. Today, Defence and Foreign Affairs correspondent Daniel Hurst joins me to talk about something that's not being raised in this election, why the government has gone quiet on the Australian Defence Force reforms designed to prevent unlawful killings. But first, here's what happened today. Prime Minister Scott Morrison was in the Sydney seat of Benelong with New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet pledging a $220 million upgrade for the Epping Bridge, which Labor said it would match. Perrottet and Morrison have clashed on a number of issues, including New South Wales's anti-corruption watchdog ICAC. The Prime Minister has rejected the ICAC model for a National Integrity Commission, likening it to a kangaroo court. I accept that we may disagree in relation to the operation of the New South Wales model, but at its heart, what we both agree on is that there should be integrity agencies in place that ensure the best standards in public life. And it turns out the New South Wales Premier is also open to Labor's help to buy housing policy. This would provide government funding for some low to middle income earners to buy a house in exchange for an equity stake in the property that they could buy back over time. Perrottet refused to back the PM's criticisms of the policy. There will always be different views in relation to housing affordability. I think it's important that um, we're we're open-minded. From my perspective, that's certainly the approach um, that we'll take in our state. Liberal candidate for the Sydney seat of Warringah, Catherine Deves, gave a rare interview to Sky News, where she walked back her apology for previous offensive comments she made about transgender children and then doubled down, saying the correct term for gender reassignment surgery was mutilation. At his press conference today, Prime Minister Scott Morrison again stood by his captain's pick. But when asked if he agreed with Deves using the word mutilation for this procedure, he backed down. That's not a phrase that I would use, and I'm sure it's not a phrase that any Prime Minister would use. I'm just simply saying that this is a significant surgical procedure that completely changes someone's life. Opposition leader Anthony Albanese was in the marginal seat of Chisholm in Melbourne, where he promised $2.2 billion for the state's suburban rail network. The Morrison government previously refused Victorian Premier Dan Andrews' request of $11.5 billion for the rail network over a decade, saying at the time that the project didn't stack up. It's not a cost, it's an investment in jobs and a road and rail network that actually takes people where they want to go and... $2.2 billion is a very significant commitment. Andrews defended the project alongside Albanese. I've had a conversation with the Prime Minister about suburban rail loop and zero dollars. Zero dollars. The contrast could not be clearer. And both leaders were asked about the minimum wage case which the ACTU is bringing to the Fair Work Commission. Morrison maintained he would abide by the Fair Work Commission's ruling, but Albanese went one step further. You said you don't want people to go backwards. Uh, Does that mean you would support a wage hike of at least 5.1% just to keep up with inflation? Absolutely. And Education Minister Alan Tudge has given his first interview since the campaign began last month. That's when reports emerged that the Department of Finance was negotiating a more than $500,000 payment to his ex-staffer Rochelle Miller. Tudge has always denied Miller's allegations that he was abusive to her during their affair. He quit Cabinet last year, despite an investigation clearing him of breaching ministerial standards. Today, he suggested he wasn't the reason for the department's payment to Miller. 
If you've been cleared of allegations, though, why would they be organising a half a million dollar payout? I'm not aware of any of those things. I have no information. I haven't been called as a witness. I haven't been asked to provide evidence. And as the Prime Minister said, if it involved me, he would have been made aware and he hasn't been made aware. He said that if the Morrison government is returned at the next election, he'll return to Cabinet as Education Minister if he's in a position to. Coming up, Daniel Hurst is here to discuss the secrecy around Australian Defence Force reforms that are designed to prevent unlawful killings. Hey Dan, how are you going? Hi Jane, good thanks, yourself? I'm okay. So the other day we talked about the defence debate at the National Press Club, of course, but we didn't get time to talk about that moment when you asked Peter Dutton about why he hadn't kept the public informed about the Brereton Inquiry reforms. It was a pretty testy exchange. Few fireworks, you might say. Minister, why have you hung the CDF out to dry and why have you failed to keep the public informed of these important reforms via Parliament? Daniel from The Guardian, one of my favourite publications, I might say. I'm glad you read it. Not, uh, <laughs> I'm being sarcastic, of course. To the sub- <laughs> to, to the sub- now, the Brereton report into alleged war crimes by Australian Special Forces was released in late 2020. It was a really big moment. It found credible evidence to implicate 25 current or former Australian ADF personnel in the alleged unlawful killing of 39 individuals and the cruel treatment of two others. But you weren't asking Dutton about that. You were asking about the official reports from an oversight panel that's been tasked with implementing cultural reforms to the Australian Defence Force as a result of that initial report. That's right. So it's not about the individual criminal investigations, which are a really serious matter. And Dutton, you know, apart from taking a swipe at The Guardian and calling it a trashy publication, uh, he was suggesting that it would be wrong to sort of comment on whether somebody is about to be arrested or where things are up to with the criminal investigations. That's something done by the Office of the Special Investigator. What I'm talking about here and what we're talking about is Defence's own reforms to make sure that this never happens again, that there are cultural reforms that are locked in essentially to prevent a repeat. And so... One of the things that the then Defence Minister Linda Reynolds did at the time of the Brereton Report is announce this oversight panel, which would be looking into how well Defence was making those changes. Why do you think we need this transparency? Like, why is this so important for the ADF? Well, one of the things that the Brereton Inquiry actually found is that in some cases, people turned a blind eye to these allegations. So, you know, if you've got accusations of a culture of cover-up or a culture of turning a blind eye or culture eroding over time, then really, how can the answer to that be less transparency? We're not talking about operational details. We're talking about what processes are put in place to assure the Australian public and also to restore the reputation of the many fine ADF members. I mean, this is not something that is anti-ADF. A lot of people within the ADF are very keen to ensure that their reputations can't be tarnished by the actions of a few. Mm. And as you said that day, Dan, you know, former Defence Minister Linda Reynolds had pledged to keep the public informed via regular updates to Parliament about these reforms. So how did the Defence Department's handling of questions from journalists change when Peter Dutton became Defence Minister? Defence has always been a bit cagey, you might say, in responding to journalists' inquiries. I mean, there are obviously sensitive matters within the defence portfolio, um, but it's fair to say that after Dutton took over, there was a bit of him putting his stamp on the portfolio, and he actually, thanks to another Freedom of Information request, we actually found out that Peter Dutton's office gave some guidance, they called it, to defence media 
And one of those requests was that any responses to journalists should be limited to three paragraphs. We've also found out that the Defence Minister approved a reform plan on the 26th of May last year, but it took more than two months for that to be released and it was quietly posted on Defence's website on a Friday uh, without any announcement. You know, it wasn't until the next week that journalists actually discovered that this had happened. Uh, and this is despite the fact that the Chief of the Defence Force, General Campbell, had originally said transparency would be key to the reform process. So you have the Chief of the Defence Force, the former Defence Minister, all advocating for transparency and accountability. And yet that hasn't really been forthcoming. Behind the scenes, of course, the oversight panel continues to do its work, but just shrouded in secrecy, essentially. And since we last spoke, you've discovered there have been six reports from this oversight panel. Yes. So we reported today that this oversight panel has now provided six reports, the first one in February 2021 and the most recent one this month. And so we don't know anything about what's in those reports. There was never a pledge to release every single report. The promise was to update the parliament on broad outlines of what it had found and if there are any issues in things are being implemented. But we don't know what are in these reports. Uh, Minister Dutton has not said a single word in Parliament about the Brereton reforms or about progress in implementing them. It's really important not to lose sight of these findings. This is a four-year-long, very serious investigation, and these are extremely serious allegations. While the Office of Special Investigator is investigating alongside the AFP, no charges have been laid to date in relation to this matter. So uh, we don't have any charges at this point, but what we've been talking about today is, of course, Defence's own processes. And what has Labor said it would do on this issue if it's elected? So Labor's been quite cautious. We should point out that they've stopped short of making any specific commitments. So the Shadow Defence Minister Brendan O'Connor told me yesterday that the government has failed to show leadership in its response to the Brereton war crimes report. Uh, I asked whether they would promise to be more accountable to the parliament on this stuff. And he said basically that he'd take advice. So he said, federal Labor will keep a very close eye on the process and won't make unilateral decisions without consultation with the Chief of Defence Force and the department, including as to whether there's been any change in advice between multiple defence ministers end of quote. So basically, there's a sort of implied commitment to being more accountable, but they won't promise to do these regular reports to Parliament. They want to talk to the Chief of Defence. Why do you think Labor's stopped short of completely committing to full transparency? Why, why are they not talking more about it during the election? I think all sides are pretty cautious on this front because they don't want to be seen to be doing anything that might inadvertently jeopardise any of those sensitive investigations that are proceeding. And of course, the broader context of this election campaign is Labor doesn't want to be seen as soft on national security. Now, of course, none of this stuff implies being soft, but I think they don't want to pick a fight on this particular issue. Uh, Having said that, there's no reason why whoever is Defence Minister after the 21st of May can't keep Parliament informed in broad terms about what Defence is doing to make sure this is never repeated. Ministers are accountable to the people via Parliament and then at election time at the ballot box. And um, how can people make decisions on how competently governments are implementing things if they don't keep Parliament informed? It builds an accountability measure and the public can judge them on that. Thanks so much for your time, Dan. I'll speak to you soon. You're welcome, Jane. That's your campaign catch-up for today. This episode was produced by Alison Chan, Daniel Simo and me, Jane Lee. The executive producer is Miles Martignoni. Our theme music is by Martin Peralta. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.